0: Um, I was inspired by Lynn's teaching last week, if, if you got to hear it, hopefully you did. If not, listen to it online, but she, she harmonized the four Gospels and took the pieces of the story of Palm Sunday and put them together, uh, s- synchronized them. And um, so as I was studying for today, I felt like God asked me to do a similar thing. Uh, so I've tried to take the events of this day and, and put them in, in order, because you get little glimpses. Of the, from the four different Gospels, and they're not all synced up in the Gospels. So you have to do that a little bit. And, and the, the skit you just heard is a great place to enter into the story. So I want us to, to kind of enter into the story and feel what that would feel like. Just remember Palm Sunday for a second. Remember what Lynn was talking about, about our, having expectations that are not going to be met on Good Friday. You have these expectations that have been built. The disciples have had these promises. They've had these dreams. They've, they've really given up everything to follow Jesus. Many of them have given up their livelihoods and their jobs. They've staked everything on Jesus and now he's dead. And he's, he's been gone for three days and they're living in fear. They're living in disillusionment. They're living in grief and sorrow. And it's, it's more than just a good friend who's passed away. I mean... They really thought that the future had changed and now it hadn't. And as we start to read in the gospel accounts, we see early in the morning a group of women starts to go to take care of the body. And it's about a two-mile walk from Bethany up to where the, the, Jesus' body was buried. And you, you don't get the sense that they're going with a lot of faith in their hearts that they're going to find him risen. There's no sense that, that there's expectation even though Jesus had predicted this and had told parables about it, this, it was just so outside the realm of reality for them that their, their, their hopes were really shattered. And then you start getting these, these groups of disciples start to have these supernatural encounters. So the women come up to the grave, and uh, depending which account you read, some of them see, you know, they see one or two angels standing there and saying, the person you're looking for isn't here. <laughs> Jesus is alive. Go back and tell the disciples. And so you have these, these groups. This group of disciples heads back to tell the disciples this incredible story. What has happened? What has happened? And as, the, as that group was walking there, there's an interesting thing that happens. Um, Mary Magdalene was with the group. She was also on stage today. Um, she was with the group when they saw the empty tomb. But somehow she wasn't with them when the angel spoke because she took off and she went to grab Peter and John, who many believe are actually in Jerusalem, separated from the rest of the disciples who were in Bethany because they had stayed with Jesus through the crucifixion, right? So they go to find Peter and John and then we see Peter and John coming to the grave and having a similar experience as the women, the graves empty and angels there saying the same things, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? And so they head back. And then in the story, something changes. Jesus starts to appear to people. And what's really powerful is that Jesus isn't sitting in the, in the tomb alive, waiting for people to find him. But what Jesus does is he starts going to people. And we'll see, we're going to look at all these accounts. He, he goes and he appears to the group of women as they're walking back. And then he appears to Mary Magdalene. And then he appears to two disciples who are leaving town. They're on their way out. And he appears to them. And then he appears to one group of disciples. And then he appears again to another group of disciples when Thomas is there. And then we're told over the next weeks he appears to hundreds of disciples before he finally ascends into heaven. But what's, what I want to capture today, because, you know, when you talk on Easter, you could really teach about anything. Oh, side note, if middle school didn't go, you can go. There is a class, a middle school class today. Tyler's out there waiting for you. So middle school, 6th, 7th, and 8th grade, you guys can head out with Tyler. That would have been sad. Tyler worked really hard to prepare for today, and then I just forgot about him. Thank you, Tyler. Okay, so you can teach on a lot of different topics, but what I felt God was really putting on my heart was this this, uh, sense of rejoicing no matter what situation we're in, because Jesus is reaching out to us. Because Jesus isn't just sitting back saying, come to me, but Jesus is the proactive one. Jesus is reaching out. He's pursuing you and I. I mean, isn't that the whole story of Jesus coming to earth? He sees a hurting and broken and sinful world under the power of the enemy, and the only way to free us is for him to to take action, for him to enter into our story. He doesn't step back and say, no, you become perfect. You enter into my story. You live better. Be more righteous. He says, no, I will enter into your story. I will become weak. I will become broken. I will become a man of sorrows so that I can reach you. He's the one who pursues us. And we can rejoice no matter what situation we're in. So I want to look at a couple of these times when Jesus appears and, you know, This might just be me, but I I love to read the Bible and and get into the story and then think, what if this was happening right now to me? And uh, so that's what we're going to do, but let's pray first. Jesus, thank you for raising from the dead. God, thank you that we celebrate today, that it wasn't just our Good Friday service, that we have Resurrection Day, that we celebrate your victory, that we celebrate your life. And God, I pray that you would minister to us I believe that you want to speak your resurrection life into everyone in this room today. I invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and begin to breathe upon us, begin to speak through the words that I say, and encourage and strengthen the people in this room, including me, God, that you would speak faith into us and life into us, God. Come with your words, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm thinking about pursuit. You know, it feels good to be pursued. Have you ever been pursued by somebody? All right, I'll tell you a positive and a negative story about being pursued. First, I'll tell you a negative story. So when I was a teenager, I was not as mature as I am now. It's like, I, by your reaction, I can't tell what you're saying there. Has it gone the other way? Many of you have known me that long, so you're like, well, it's not true. Okay. We had high hopes for him as a teen, but since then. Um, so, I, you know, I was out driving, and this is something that I hope my kids never do, and I'm glad that they're here to listen to this. Um, but uh, I was with friends, we were, you know, enjoying our newfound freedom at 16, 17 years old, driving our car out, beautiful day, and we thought it'd be really fun to take some water guns in our car and try to shoot other drivers while we're driving. <laughs> now, this is terrible. This is as an adult, this makes me so angry at the teenager me. My dad doesn't even know the story, do you? Yep, there you go. There are some stories you wait till you're almost forty to tell your parents. Wait, except for my kids. No, you tell me everything right now. Okay. So I had some some gun gunmen in the back, armed with powerful water guns. And as we drove, we would like, you know, do drive by Water shootings. It was hot. We were doing community service, you know, um, and uh, and so we hit this one guy, and he was not happy. I don't know why, and he pursued us, and it did not feel good. And so, like, as a mature adult now, I know you don't get into car chases. Like, if someone pursues you, you you don't do that. You don't participate. You just like I don't know, pull over or drive to a police station. But I was like, I've always wanted to see if I could do one of these. You know, you see him in the movies all the time. I can do this in my 88 Honda Accord. Let's go, you know? So I'm, I'm like, I know Hocas and back roads. I'm trying to lose this guy, and I can't lose him. It wasn't very long. It was like 10 seconds. But I thought, it felt, it felt a lot. So I got around a curve, and I couldn't see him. And I was like, oh, I'm going to duck into this driveway. He's going to fly by just in the movies, just like in the movies. So I ducked into this driveway, and he just pulls into the driveway behind me. <laughs> And then you're trapped. And so I was like sheepishly got out of the car like, what's going to happen? I've never been beat up in my life. Is this a first, you know? I'm armed with water guns, you know? So he kind of like reamed us out, got back in his car and left. And that was, I will never, ever do that again. It was horrible. But I have been pursued in good ways in my life too. I remember a time when I was dating Mandy, and Mandy's my wife. And uh, we were dating and she... Um, I was pretty scared of commitment at that age, pretty scared of marriage, pretty scared of anything that was, like, lifelong. So, um, you know, you know how it is when you're, like, 19, 20 years old. It's hard to commit to the rest of the day, right? People are like, what are you doing this afternoon? You're like, I don't know. Like, I'm keep my options open. So, um, so I, I remember we've been dating for, like, a year, and I, I had a really serious talk. I had a lot of serious talks at that age. I had a serious talk with her, and I was like, you know, I don't know for sure— if you're the one, and I don't know for sure. I, I kind of questioning, like, what if, it, what if it's someone else? Like, I don't know. Maybe my feelings aren't strong. Like, I told her these things, you know, like these, these are things you work through with a, a guy friend, right? I was like, I think we should break up. I think, I think, you know, I just, it's not fair to you. It's not fair to you. You know, you deserve someone better. It's great, you should write that one down, teenagers. Um, and, and she said, she looked at me, and I, I'll, I'll always remember this. She said. No. I am not going to let you break up with me. I was like, wait a second. Is that how it works? (laughs) I'm not going to let you. So she said, you you clearly are going through something. You work on your own issues. I'm not going anywhere. You know, I'm not going to break up with you. We're going to stay together. I'll give you some space. You work out your stuff. But we're supposed to be together. And I know this is from God. And I'm just going to stay here with you. And she pursued me. She pursued me through a season of doubt and questioning in my life for our relationship. And it felt really good. So I do that regularly. Well, like, you know, anniversary dinner. So I'd be like, honey, I don't know if we should be together anymore. You know? <laughs> just as so she'll pursue me. No. It feels good to be pursued. It feels good to to feel like you're important enough for someone else to sacrifice for. And this is where Jesus enters into the story. And guys, when you read this account of the resurrection and the days that follow, this is so obviously written by real people. It's so obviously not fabricated because Jesus enters into some messy stories. And I think if you were going to write this in a different way, it it, it wouldn't include people who wouldn't believe in him. You know, it wouldn't include people who are just so confused about his teachings still after living with him for three years and hearing all his teachings. And this is the testimony. This is the fruit of his three years of ministry. His closest followers have no idea what's going on. But that's a true account. It's an honest account. They could have glossed over this. I love that the disciples write themselves so honestly It it gives so much credibility and humanity to such a supernatural day. So, the first person, well, not the first person, but one of the first people he appears to is Mary Magdalene. Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her woman, why are you crying? So, as we start to read some of these accounts, you're going to realize that Jesus is in a great mood after raising from the dead. He is he is. He is having a great time messing with his disciples, right? So, like, we didn't read the account where the women women are walking back from the tomb, but it says they're walking back from the tomb, and then Jesus just appears, and he says, greetings, you know? It's so weird. Can you imagine that? He just, like, stops from behind a tree. Hello. And they're like, Jesus. Okay? So here he is, and he's messing with Mary. He's like, Mary. You know, she can't tell he's Jesus. Either he's decked out in like um, a gardener's outfit or something supernatural's going on. But he's like, why are you crying? He knows why she's crying. Why is he doing this to her? Who are you looking for? He knows who she's looking for. (laughs) Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, I mean, this poor woman, she's broken. All right, tell me where you put him and I will go get him. And I love the power here. There's no way I can communicate what I feel like happens in this story right here. But he switches and he just says her name. He says, Mary. And her eyes are open. And she says, teacher. And she just worships him. So first, the first group, like as I read this story, God began to speak to me about. <laughs> he loves my teaching. <laughs> One of my greatest fans right there. Um You know, the point is rejoice those who weep. He's going to go out there and rejoice, just trust me, in a little bit. Um, The resurrection is for those of us who aren't doing well. Let's just start there. We're going to to see a lot of people. I want to take these little stories of Jesus meeting people and make them analogies for our life. Some of you are here and you're you're like, I know Easter's about joy, but I don't feel it. I'm hurting right now. I'm broken. Things aren't going the way I want them to. And yet the Bible says things like we rejoice in our sufferings, Romans 5, 3. How do we rejoice in our sufferings? And this is what's so beautiful about the resurrection is Jesus doesn't call people to get their act together and put on a happy face and come find him in the tomb. But he pursues us in a real moment, and he comes to them, and he knows your name. There's something powerful about knowing Mary's name in the ancient Near East, that meant that there was a level of intimacy, a level of connection that was there. When he speaks her name, he's saying more. He's saying, I know you, Mary. I know your history. I know what you're ashamed of. And I know your future, and I know where you're going. And that's what he would say to you now. If you're in a place where you're hurting, and things are, are not going the way they should be going, where you're broken, Jesus says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Because he knows your name. And you know the end of the story. Philip Yancey says that Jesus took the worst day in history and called it Good Friday. Because he takes the worst things that happen and he turns them to our good. And that's why we can rejoice, those of us who are hurting, those of us who are weeping, because Jesus knows our name. Jesus knows our name. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus is is the resurrection. He wasn't just resuscitated, okay? Like, he resuscitated Lazarus, right? Lazarus died. He raised him from the dead. But where's Lazarus now? He's dead. He is dead again. Okay, some of us get born again. He got dead again, all right? All right? He raised the, that little girl from the dead, but she was alive again, Then then she's, she's dead. Jesus is the only one who raised from the dead and continues in resurrection life. He will never, ever taste death again. So he's the only true resurrection. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And whoever believes in me, though he may die, though your life may go downhill, though you may be broken, though you may be in in sorrow and hurting on the inside, though you may die, yet you will live because I am the resurrection and the life. And that's one of the messages of Easter. Let's look at another encounter. Luke 24. There's a couple disciples. Okay. It's, sorry, just, you know, in this inside of my brain, I'm looking at the clock, and it's confusing to me because we're not on our normal schedule. And I was like, wow, I still have another half an hour. This is great. But I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, So there's a couple of disciples who are headed out to a town called Emmaus. It's about seven miles outside of Jerusalem. So they're on a long walk. And again, Jesus shows up and starts messing with these guys. Okay, let's read this. That same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. That's what I just told you. They're talking to each other about everything that happened. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus came up and walked along with them. He kept them from recognizing him, though. And he said, what are you discussing as you're walking along? And they turned to him like, how do you not know what's going on? He said, what's, has there been something going on? What's going on? Tell me about it. You know, he's Jesus. I mean, can you picture, what's his motivation here? I love it. I love also this new power that he has after the resurrection of apparently like being like some sort of shapeshifter where you can't tell that it's Jesus. Do you think he was dressed as a gardener again this time? Or maybe like a traveler on the road? I don't really think he's a shapeshifter. That's not, that's not the teaching. That's the only thing the teenagers will remember, though. <laughs> Jesus is a shapeshifter. All right. And some of the adults are like, what's a shapeshifter? I don't—okay. <laughs> Bringing the generations together. Okay. So they, they open up to him. They're like, this is what's been going on. We don't understand it. This guy, Jesus, we really thought he was the hope of Israel, and now he's dead. And Jesus starts not—you know, they don't know he's Jesus, but he starts to describe from Scripture, and they're like, yeah— yeah, this makes sense, yeah. And they get to a place where, it's, where they're, they're going, and they invite him in to eat. Which, side note, if you go back today and read through the resurrection story, it's surprising how often Jesus has to eat after he raises from the dead. He appears to all these people, and he eats, like, almost every time. I think raising from the dead really takes it out of you, you know? He appears to this one group, and, and he, he comes through, like, a locked door, and they're, like, ah, it's a ghost. And he's, like, Peace be with you. Look at my nails. Give me some food. <clears throat> he says three things. And it's like the third one is I'm hungry. All right? So when they're sitting at the table, he took bread, he gave thanks, broke it, and he gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he disappeared from their sight. I love it. It's Jesus. He's having the best day. He's like, look what else I can do. You know? And they looked at each other. We're not our hearts burning within us when we talk to him. Now I want to say to you that some of you, you can't see Jesus in your life right now. He's with you. And you probably have some level of faith that you know he's working in your life. But honestly, you just don't know what he's up to. <laughs> and if he's acting like this, you, you might be in for a surprise, right? <laughs> but you don't know what he's doing. Have you ever had that in your life where you're like, Jesus, where are you right now? Like, I'm trying. I'm praying. I feel like I'm doing the right stuff. But I don't—where where are you leading us, God. What are you doing in my life right now? I thought we were headed this direction. I thought you had said, go here. And it's just not coming to pass. And I want to say that you can rejoice today because the message of Easter is that he is going to reveal himself to you. He is going to when the time is right. And in the midst, he's preparing you. I always struggle with telling stories because, like, (sighs) Like, I could tell just an everyday story about this. Like, you know, there's times in my life recently where I'm spending time with God and it doesn't feel that connection. You know, you don't get that deep connection. And so I need to have faith that he will reveal myself to. He will reveal himself. He will reveal myself too. That's a little more painful. But he'll reveal himself to me and I just need to stick with it. But there's also, I want to share kind of a deeper time in my life too. We, um, when we lost Malachi and Hope, our two children to stillbirth, we were in this place where we didn't know what we should do next. And we had felt like God had told us before them that we were you know, going to have another kid. And then it was like, now what? And the doctors couldn't help us. They were really like, they were confused. And, and so we were just praying. And we were seeking advice. And we were you know, coming to Bruce and Lynn and coming to our friends and coming to our counselor. And just nothing was crystallizing. And guys, this went on for at least a year. And it was... Of, like one of the hardest places, because I, I already struggle with decisions. Like it's tough to know what cereal to eat in the morning sometimes for me. Like those, you know, where you have like multiple choices. I'm bad. And that's, not a, that's not a lie. That's a true statement right there. And so this felt like a life or death decision. This felt like if I get this wrong, I'm going to put my whole family through this again. And, and can we even, could we handle that? And I felt just this weight, and I know Manny felt this weight, and, but, but the not deciding was just destroying us. It was like someone was like screwing like a vice, to, and we were in the middle, and just, and we had someone tell us finally, a counsel that we saw said, I think you guys just need to make a decision. And you just need to make it in full confidence of what the Lord's telling you, and then just go in peace, because not deciding is killing you guys. And um, you know, I'm not saying that's the best advice, no matter what decision you're in. But I think that was the Lord speaking to us. And so, Mandy and I took a week, and we both we actually came here individually late at night, two different nights, and just spent time with God. And so, I can tell you, my time with God was me pacing around this room with worship music on, praying and praying and praying and praying and praying, and, praying and nothing. And then I do like the listening thing late, like, and nothing. Like, God, where are you, Jesus? been saying, where are you for a year? Don't you care? Like, where are you in this? And so I did what all mature Christians do when they can't hear God. I opened my Bible randomly. For real. That's how desperate I got. And I would never tell anyone to do that. Like, if you came to my office as a pastor, I would never be like, I know you're struggling. Listen, let's just flip the Bible open. You know, drop your finger, whatever it says, go for it. Look, it says sacrifice a lamb. Do it. It's clearly the Lord, you know? But I was desperate, and it was like one of those things where, have you ever done this, where you flip it and you're like, mm, no, no. Flip it again, no. All right. You're like flipping just to the New Testament, you know, looking for something more positive. You don't want to get like into those wars or anything. No, but I just flipped it once. It was an honest flip, all right? And, and for real, it said, this time next year, you will have a child. Ooh. Right? And I was like, nah, I can't be, it flipping. <laughs> no, and so then I was like, okay, but I, so do you stop there or do you keep reading? Because this was the story where Elijah prophesied this over this lady, and he says, this time next year, you'll have a, a child, but the next verse is, and then the child will die. For real? And I was like, And then I know later in the story, the child raises from the dead. What am I supposed to do with that? And then Mandy came, she had her time, and we talked, and I was like, this is what I got. And so we felt like what, what the Lord was telling us is to, to go, but to have faith in God no matter what. And instead of like, we have faith that God is going to do this, it was, we have faith in God. And we just feel like he's told us to do this. But whatever happens, we have faith in God. So whether the baby lives or not, we're going to trust in you. And it was kind of like this different place for us to be. And what's crazy about this story is that um, it's about Eden, and she's alive, and she's awesome. And, but when she was born, about five minutes after she was born, she stopped breathing. And she went totally blue, and they had to call like this emergency call where they ripped her out of our arms, and all these doctors rushed in, and I was sitting there thinking about that Bible verse. I was like, what is going to happen, you know? And then God, through the doctors or however, I don't know, miracle, whatever, but she, then she was okay, just like a minute later. And she was breathing and happy. And, and so what did we learn there? Like, I learned two really important lessons that I wouldn't have learned if God would have just made it easy, all right? First of all, I learned that sometimes you just need to wait on God. And you can't set the timeline there. You need to wait on God and trust that he's doing something. He's preparing you. Like when he was walking with the the two disciples on the road to town, he was preparing them, wasn't he? He was teaching them, and and he was giving them a framework for what he was about to reveal, which was himself. And the second one is that that faith that I don't know that i had ever really experienced, but the faith of light. This is kind of like throwing another Bible story in, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where they're going into the fiery furnace, and what do they say? They say we have full confidence that our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we praise the Lord, right? And it was like this crazy place of faith. And we were just talking about this week, Lynn. And that's where I felt like God had taken us and I had never really been there before. And that was like a new thing that God wanted to do in our life. But what we can know is that God will reveal himself to you. The Bible promises that those who seek him, he says, those who seek me, I will be found by you. In Jeremiah, I will be found by you. he doesn't say I will be found by you quickly. He doesn't say I will be found by you easily. But we can trust that he will reveal himself in time. And you know what? Just another side note, because I've got a little extra time. What's really cool is they were walking together. And for me, as as I prayed about this, God began to speak to me about the importance of us walking together in those times where we can't see Jesus, where we, we lean on our brothers and sisters. So if that's you here today, be encouraged Jesus will reveal himself to you. Okay, we have two more. Ready? Okay. John 20. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. And I love how Jordan portrayed it, actually. I think it was very accurate. I think that's exactly what Thomas was struggling with. Can you imagine being the one guy who wasn't there? It would be so frustrating and sad and, and like, confusing. Why, Why didn't you wait till I got here, Jesus. Like, you're Jesus. Clearly, you can do whatever you want now, right? You could have, like, teleported me here into the room so I could have been here. But he was doing something else in Thomas, wasn't he? This is what I love about the resurrection story is they're so individual. Like, he, you can tell Jesus is, like, doing purposeful things. He's pursuing them. He's reaching out right where they need him. He knew what Thomas needed, and he needed Thomas to have what he needed because the next step is they have to go risk their lives for the gospel, So he had these specific things he did. Like when the when the angel tells the disciple tells the girls to go get the disciples, he says, Go tell the disciples and Peter. Why? Because he knew that Peter was in a special place of pain. He's just so in touch with the individuals. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. (laughs) And he's like, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And a week later, his disciples were in the house again. A week later. Oh my gosh. Can you imagine believing, being Thomas for that whole week? And he's hearing these other people, like, you know, the two guys who are on their way to Emmaus. They're like, we saw Jesus. He's like, your names aren't even in the Bible. And you saw Jesus. (laughs) I'm Thomas. (laughs) A week later, they're there and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. He said, peace be with you. And then he just turns to Thomas. He wasn't there when Thomas said this, right? He said, put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it on my side, into my side. Stop doubting and believe. That's the message. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. I love the honesty. I've talked about this a little bit, but they could have written this without this guy in here. Right? They didn't have to, but the Holy Spirit wanted us to know That even on the reports, many reports of many of his most trusted friends, Thomas couldn't get there until Jesus appeared to him. He needed something more. And I believe that Jesus wants me to speak to some of you here today who you're, you're there. You're looking at all this and you're like, this just doesn't work for me. Maybe it used to work for me, but I've gotten older and it just, I don't know. I just don't get it. I don't buy it anymore. Is this really all true? Does God really love me you know, is, are, are, are people just following some sort of religious thing? Like, why this? Why not something else? How seriously should I really take this? Do I really need to live my life according to this? Is, is this really making a difference in the world? I mean, look at the world. And see, Jesus is not afraid of your doubt and your questions. And, and when we question him, you know, it doesn't make him any less Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't need us to believe in him for him to be who he is. So he's not insecure about your doubts and your questions. He's not like getting hurt by it. Like, hey, I worked really hard for that title. You know, he's just, he's just securing himself. You know, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, that's my Jesus voice apparently. Hey, all right. But he's patient, isn't he? He's patient and he's pursuing you. And so I want to encourage you. Something we do in youth group on a regular basis is I tell them that I encourage them to ask doubting questions. Because you're going to ask them sometime in your life. And honestly, I want to be there when it happens. I want to talk to them about it. So let's try, let's try to, like, I'm not saying invite a spirit of doubt into your life. You know, the Bible tells you, like, that's going to be, that's going to be hard for you. But, but the gospel isn't like this flimsy, shaky thing that one good question, Oh, you caught us, you know. It's all been a ruse. You know, no, this will stand the test of time, the test of your doubts, the test of your questions, the test of your experience, the test of your pain and your joy. And so that's why you can press into him. You can lean, literally, you can lean into him like Thomas. You can say, I want to know it's real, Jesus. Don't just leave here. Don't just go out. But press into Jesus today if you're doubting, if you're unsure. Maybe if you've never said yes to Jesus. If you're here today because someone invited you or a friend manipulated you into coming or something, Jesus loves you and is pursuing you, not the mass of humanity, but you individually. He's patient with you and he knows your name. So you can walk that road that Thomas walked and come to a place where you can move from doubt to belief. So we can rejoice because Jesus is reaching out to you. And lastly, John 20. Again, another time, Jesus appears to a group of people. Actually, this is right before he talked to Thomas. And Jesus says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them. This is one of those movie moments. I wish I could see, like, you know, something powerful happened right there, right? The risen Jesus is like, whew. Like, that's one of those would be, like, great music and, you know. Maybe not. Maybe they were just like, whew. You know, just kidding. (laughs) He breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit, which is really interesting, isn't it? Sidebar theological discussion for Later. But, like, something's happening there, but then they're told to wait for the Holy Spirit. It's like they got a, 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 it's like appetizers of the Holy Spirit, right? Just a little bit to get you going and bring you back. <laughs> and then, if you look at Matthew 28 and Mark 16, if you couple them together with him breathing the Holy Spirit into him, then he calls them basically to go into the world and make disciples. And these miracles and signs will follow you. And it's like he hands the torch off. And he's like, now go! And I love that. And I want to I end with that because Easter is not all about you and me. In fact, it may be more about the people not in the room. Maybe more about the people who are at home right now. They know it's Easter. And, and I think most Americans especially have at least dealt with the concept of Jesus. So they've made some decisions about it. And Jesus is sending you. And he's sending me, and he's not sending us ill-equipped. He's sending us with the kingdom of heaven, with the power of the Holy Spirit, and with resurrection life to go out into the world. And so he is reaching out. So the the the, um, the theme has been God reaching out individually to each person, whether you're hurting right? Whether you're, you're not sure what God's doing in your life, whether you're um, doubting and unclear about who Jesus is, but he's reaching through us too. He's not just reaching to us, but he's reaching through us. And we're called to take that message out to those others who are hurting, others who are doubting, others who can't see Jesus in their life right now. You know, I think we, we put this veil between us and people who don't know Jesus and we just think they got their lives together. They are where they want to be. Let's leave them alone. But they're hurting, I think. They're questioning. They're wondering. They're just waiting to see one Christian who is filled with the resurrection life. Who will step into their story like Jesus stepped into ours. Who will step into their story. Who will come with humility and love and patience and power and show them the resurrected Jesus. And that's my prayer, that we can take this message. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you and me. He dwells in us, the same spirit. So we can rejoice, even though the world is hurting. And like, like Jonathan said during worship, you know, it's, the answers for the world aren't going to come through politics or government. Or the, the answers that the world really is looking for are going to come through the risen Savior. That's who the world needs. So we can rejoice because he is calling to the world through us. Okay. What we're going to do now is we're going to worship together. Are you going to do, do a communion word? Or am I, is that, yep, you, right? Okay. So what we're going to do is Bruce is going to introduce communion. And as we, we're going to spend the last 15 minutes of the service worshiping together, you can take communion. And we also want to call you forward for prayer ministry as well. If you are in any of those categories, if you are hurting right now, if you are not able to find Jesus in your life right now and you don't know what he's doing, if you are doubting or don't know Jesus at all, or if you feel like, I want to be empowered to reach out more, come on up. Let's pray for each other. we got time. we got lots of time. So you can worship at your seats. You can come up for communion. Or you can come up for prayer.